I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Starting recording. There you go. Okay, we're good to go. Okay. Uh, the, the, this lesson's interesting because we kind of get this little insertion of the Book of Ether. Um, Moroni is still in the same time period that he ha was before, but he's He's like, oh, here's these plates that I want to talk about, and I'm going to put this in here with my abridgment, and um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. And there really is. Gosh, I, I think, what is it, only like, so it's only like 15 chapters, the whole book. Um, but we get the first five today, and we go through quite a bit of stuff. And one of the things in chapter one, in verse four, he's talking about what's in the book and what he's going to be recording I guess I'll, I'll start with verse 3. And I suppose that the first part of this record, which speaks concerning the creation of the world and also of Adam, and an account from the time even unto the great tower, that whatsoever transpi things transpired among the children of men until that time is had among the Jews. Therefore I do not write these things which transpired from the days of Adam until that time, but they are had upon the plates. And whoso findeth them, the same will have the power that he may get the full account. So he's basically saying, you know, you guys already have the account of the time of Adam to the Tower of Babel. So I'm not going to go into all of that here. But just so you know, it is on these plates also. Which makes me wonder, like, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of information. And I get that he's doing that to save time and to save space and probably under the guidance of the Spirit. Like, hey, don't worry about recounting all of that. The only thing that would be interesting to me is what other information... Or what perspective would they get from that account of that time period that we don't have? Um, so maybe someday we'll know. But it's interesting how he just kind of is like, okay, I'm just not going to go into this stuff. I'm just going to give you an account of from the tower until this people was destroyed. Which is still a long time. And then he goes into the entire genealogy of Ether, who is the one who's actually recorded this stuff. And it's 28 generations of people from ether going back in time to when this story starts and uh it's funny because i was like reading this this part about the genealogy and stuff and he said you know oriha who's the son of jared in verse 32 and then th verse 34 and the brother of jared being a large and mighty man and a man highly favored of the lord jared his brother said unto him crying to the lord that he will not confound us that we may not understand our words 
And I've always thought, like, why on earth, if the brother of Jared is the one that's doing all of this stuff, why do we not just call him by name and talk about Jared like the brother of instead of like, why, why the focus on Jared? And it's just simply because Ether is a direct descendant of Jared, not of the brother of Jared. And so he's writing yeah. about his great, great, great 28 times uncle, you know? <laughs> Why doesn't Jared cry unto the Lord? Yeah. Why is it the brother of Jared? And I wonder if there was some, one held the priesthood office and the other one didn't, or there was some sort of hierarchy between them. Almost like Nephi went to Lehi, right. you know, and said, him, hey, where should I go to get, gather food? You know, right. even though it was kind of his initiative to go gather the food, you know. Or even Sam kind of deferring to Nephi sometimes saying, you know, like, you should go talk to our father or you should call upon the Lord or, or whatever. In that, in that sense, that maybe there's no like formal title or anything, but he's like, my brother is, he's a, he's a really cool guy. He's really on top of things. I'm going to have him ask the Lord. In the, in the lesson, it asks us to be, to consider, especially in these chapters from 33 to 37, that there are three different types of prayers that the brother of Jared had. And it, and he, it says, what do you learn from the Lord's response for each of these prayers? And I guess the first one is not to be confounded. And then the second one is in 35, and the brother Jared cried unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion uh, that he did not confound. And then 36, then Jared said unto his brother, cry unto the Lord that he may, that it may be that he may turn away his anger from them who are our friends. So at first it was us, and then our friends, and then 37, cry unto the Lord that he had compassion, his friends and family. And then go Pretty inquire of the Lord whether he, we should go. And then 39, and he would cry unto the Lord according to that which he had been spoken by the mouth of Jared. And it came to pass that the Lord did hear the brother Jared and had compassion upon him. And it's funny because, I don't know, all of these are, are kind of all the all the answers to their cries or their prayers are led, are described as, and the Lord did have compassion upon them. It feels to me as if they're going to the Lord, pleading with him, have mercy upon us. And the Lord is moved by compassion. Nowhere in here it does it feel like they're coming to the Lord and saying, go demand of the Lord that we earn this. <laughs> we earn this right. Or we know what he's up to. Tell him to, to give us uh, our language back. Or, tell, you know, like there's a there's a very, I don't know, reverent way of crying unto the Lord in a correct way that we may have the Lord have compassion on us. I think oftentimes we take, um, this is just my my example here that oftentimes we take that scripture and Dr. Covenant says every blessing is predicated upon, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of your action, almost as if we're, and, and sometimes we can read uh, King Benjamin, like, hey, when you do something, the Lord pays you right away type of scenario. Sometimes we can feel as if we're entitled to something, but we should always have the spirit of, we all of this, all of this is by the will and the and the compassion and the and the mercy of God, not so much. You look at those three prayers. You know, it starts with the first reaction, which is, "Can you please protect us?" And then, "Okay, I'm we're protected now. Can you please protect our friends?" And then the next one is, "Okay, so now what should we do?" And I think as we as we look at our own lives it's totally acceptable to be like, Hey, can you watch over my family? Watch over me, help me have the things that I need. And then also bless those friends and family and all that. 
But then that third one is the interesting one. It's not just like, I don't want to have any problems. I want to be safe. I want to be fine. It's now ask him, what should we do next? Yeah. Where should we go? What should we do? And the and, Lord, and if you ask, he'll tell you. And then the, the, the decision that you have to make is, are you willing to follow that? Because if he just said, oh, you want to know what to do? Here's what I want you to do. You're going to leave. You're going to make some boats. You're going to do this and this and that. And then they were like, ooh, oh, gosh. Um, that I, I don't know. I really like my house. I really like my life the way it is. And I don't want to get into all that. We're safe. Our language is not confounded. We're good, right? Instead, they're like, okay, we got to do what the Lord says, you know, and that that's the key, I think, to this this part. The other the other thing I found interesting is just the thought that I had is sometimes we ask the Lord for protection, for deliverance. And most of the time, it's not the enemy that's trying to hurt us that changes their mind. Most of the time, we are empowered to go somewhere else. Oftentimes, the answer is completely upon things we can do. And for them, they're going to flee this land. They're going to be led to a better location, a better place. And in verse 44, it says, and there I will bless thee when he's saying, well, in 42, it says, and when thou hast done this, thou shalt go into the go at the head of them down into the valley, which is northward. And there I will meet thee, and I will go before thee in the land, which is choice above all other lands on earth. And there I will bless thee in thy seed, and raise up unto me of thy seed, and of the seed of thy brother, and they and they who shall be with thee a great nation. And there shall be none greater than the nation which I will raise up unto me of thy seed upon all the face of the earth. And so this is a wonderful promise, knowing that they're not eventually it's going to end like this empire or this nation is going to fall. We are also promised similar things, maybe not as directly, but if you kind of think about the natural consequence of following the commandments and being faithful to the Lord and trying to live the best life you can, you're going to try and pass that on to your children. And you hope that they will, they will learn and they will grasp those concepts as well. And you know, maybe you won't be an independent functioning society from the, those around you, but what you are is you're contributing to uh, a greater nation. If you really want your country, wherever you may be from, uh, to be a better place, it starts with those simple decisions you make as an individual. Yeah. And well, it's really easy to, to blame a, a system sometimes or to blame the world or the society for, for being the problem, but really... It's at each and every single one of us. Keep my commandments, you, you shall prosper in the land. You know, it's that simple. It starts with every well, single one. Just as, just as the Lord, he can definitely move a mountain. But most of the time, he's going to give you the strength to climb that mountain or to walk around the mountain. And, and that's how some of these answers are. Some of them we're going to see are very miraculous, and others are very practical. Yep. I see their journey at the beginning of verse two. They they um they go to this valley. I think the name Nimrod is the name <laughs> of the valley, and uh, it was called after a mighty hunter. And they had flocks, and of every kind. And they did have snares and catch uh, fowls of the air. And they did prepare vessels. And they did carry with them in number three Deseret, which is a honeybee. So they had honey, and maybe they even understood how important bees are in order to grow crops. 
you know? Because I always thought bees are really important for honey, but they're also really important for pollinating and having vegetables and fruit, you know, and growing crops. And and then, you know, they have, and it seems like they're at a pretty good place, but this isn't the final destination. And it's very similar to Nephi. He is led to the land bountiful, where they are able to rest and kind of replenish their supplies. And then now we got to build a boat and go. And his brothers were kind of like, well, it's kind of nice here. Why do we have to go? It's kind of actually nice. Let's stay. And I and I wonder how, if that lesson is kind of repeated here in a small sense, to kind of teach us a little bit that as we follow the Lord and we're on the journey to the tree of life, we're going to reach certain milestones where we can replenish and kind of recoup and reinvigorate ourselves. But there will always be a temptation to say, oh, this is good enough right here. We can, we can stop. This is the promised land right here. And, and not to realize... No, it's, we're not there yet. You have to continue to progress. Even when you continue to progress, there's a temptation to look back on that, that time period where things were all good. Think about Lot's wife. It's time to leave. Yeah, but oh, remember what our house was like and remember what our community was, all that. I long for the good old days. Yeah, but the, the best days are yet to come. We're not there yet. Keep pushing. And Yes, you can probably look back at a time in your life when things went smoother or you had less challenges, but you were in that plateau, right? You're in this state of replenishing and getting ready for the next challenge. And now you're in the challenge. Keep pushing. Keep going. I find it interesting, though, that in in verse 5, when the Lord comes down to speak to the brother of Jared, it says, It came to pass the Lord commanded them that they should go forth into the wilderness, yea, into the quarter where they had never had man where never had man been and it came to pass that the lord did go before them and did talk with them as he stood in a cloud and gave directions whither they should travel and it came to pass that they did travel in the wilderness did build barges in which they did cross many waters being directed continually by the hand of the lord and the lord would not suffer that they should stop beyond the sea in the wilderness but he would that they should come forth even into the land of promise so even after they reached this first valley i mean think back to to Lehi's family. They left Jerusalem, traveled through the wilderness, they get to the seashore. They stay there for a while, they really like it, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Then they are told, okay, you got to go to the promised land, you got to build a boat. Then they go, they arrive in the promised land, and that's it. They're there forever. These guys, they arrive at this valley, they start to build a life for themselves, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, and then the Lord says, no, we got to keep going, I'm going to show you the way. But they travel through the wilderness, they it said they did cross many waters in these barges. Like, this is a, a huge undertaking. And this isn't even the big trip yet, right? Yeah, I wonder how much of those, uh, they learn things themselves too, you know? They learn practical things like, uh, I don't know. It just seems like, um, like we know that Nephi was very observant of metals. He, you know, he describes uh, Laban's sword and then, he was the only one with the, like a metal steel bow, you know. He was he already had some of these affinities to where when he was asked to build a bow, he just I need to know how to get ore so I can make some tools. He knew about metal type of things. Like he already had practical knowledge. And I wonder how much of these trips kind of prepared them, but are also a temptation, like you said. They might think, hey, this is a pretty good place right here, you know. <laughs> Well, and even when they get to their kind of their next spot in verse 13, it came to pass the Lord did bring Jared and his brethren forth even to that 
great sea which divideth the lands. And as they came to the sea, they pitched their tents, and they called the name of the place Moriankomer. And they dwelt in tents and dwelt in tents upon the seashore for the space of four years. <laughs> which, you know, at that point, I think most people would probably be like, I guess this is where we're supposed to be. You know, like, we've been here for two years now, Jared. Um, is is this it? And he's like, I, I don't know. I ask my brother. And, you know, <laughs> so... Hey, is this is this where we're gonna be now? And this, they kind of kind of get comfortable there. Came to pass that at the end of the four years, that the Lord came again unto the brother of Jared and stood in a cloud and talked with him. And for the space of three hours did the Lord talk with the brother of Jared and chastened him because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, when I read that, I was like, wait a second. So the Lord is hands on, hands on, hands on, hands on, walking them across, showing them where they should go, in person, right, in a cloud, but in person. And then for four years, he's gone, and then he comes back and chastens him? Why? And it occurred to me that um, it is not meet that I should command in all things. And maybe his, maybe the chastening is, look, I brought you here, and I want you to maintain contact. I don't want this to be a one-way street where I'm constantly telling you what you need to do. Um, you need to come and ask me. And I'm not going to come and in, in, in say, hey, Here's the next five steps, because I've already walked you across the wilderness to this place. I'm waiting for you to come to me. I want you to call upon me. And so he's waiting and nothing's happening. And finally, he's like, OK, I'm going to go down and I'm going to I'm going to give him a talking to listen. If this if this relationship is going to continue where you receive revelation and I provide you with the next steps, you need to make it a two way. And that's how it is with us, too. We can't just expect the Lord to give us what our next steps are. We have to reach out to him sometimes, too. Well, it kind of reminded me of um, the Lord expects us to be dependent on him. But as we're dependent on him, we become more like him. And as we become more like him, he trusts us and then can delegate to us and doesn't have to micromanage us so much. It's kind of like uh, Third Nephi in, in uh, when he's giving the sealing power. And said, hey, Nephi, I declare upon you and my all my angels that whatever you say goes. You know, you 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 figure out how you wanna what you wanna do to help this civilization. He said, Well, I'd want a famine. Let's can we get a famine going? Sure, you know. Um, but that's a totally different level of trust because he says, and I know you'll ask nothing, because he's been trained, and, and that's the thing is our relationship with our savior, his invested interest is in our development. He's not, we often look at it as we are, we serve the Lord or we're serving each other. We look at it through mortal eyes, like service, like you're just a servant. But he's saying the greatest among you is the, your servant. He, he's kind of flipping things upon their head saying, by you relying on me, I'll be able to rely on you and give you parameters. And, and we'll see that as, as the brother Jared has to troubleshoot some issues in preparing for this larger journey. The other thing I found interesting is repeatedly it tells us, for behold, this land, like in verse 10, for behold, this land is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that does possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off. Um, in verse 12, behold, this is a choice land, and whosoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all nations under heaven. If they will but serve the God. So it is a choice land and it is a promised land, but there are some conditions. 
Conditions are you have to serve the Lord. And if you do not serve the Lord, it won't be and it won't feel like a choice land. And and I kind of been thinking a lot about that lately in our current climate of political and social upheaval. It's we need to remember because oftentimes there are sentiments and sometimes there are feelings where you feel like this does not feel like a choice land right now. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of conflict. But I think the Lord is telling us if we put him first, we will never be in bondage. All of these great fears that we have in making these very important decisions and opinions and formulating opinions, our greatest fear of bondage shouldn't be from our neighbor. Our neighbor wants to get us in the bondage. It should be from our, am, am I keeping my covenants? Am I being true to the Lord? And, and I'll leave him to deal with my neighbor. Well, yeah, it's very easy to point fingers and say, you're not living right, or you're not thinking right, or you aren't leading us down a right path. And it's a lot harder to look at yourself and say, am I living right? Am I making the right decisions? Am I representing the Lord in my daily life? Because there is no separation between what we talk about in church on Sunday and what we do the rest of the six weeks or six days of the week. Those things are one and the same. And we have to pay attention to, am I being consistent? Am I living the same way the rest of the week as I talk about living on Sunday? And in verse 16, there's this sentence at the very beginning. And the Lord said, go to work and build after the manner of barges, which ye have hitherto built. Um, but it's basically, they've, they've built these boats before. They've gone already quite a few places with them. I don't know if he's building more or if he's building new ones or what. It's been four years, so maybe they're building new ones. And they're following, it says, according to the instructions of the Lord. And they were small, and they were light upon the water, even like unto the lightness of a fowl upon the water. And they were built after a manner that was exceed, that they were exceedingly light, even that they would hold water like unto a dish. And the bottom thereof was tight like unto a dish, and the sides thereof were tight like unto a dish. They're talking about barges, right? And the pictures and depictions I've seen are like these little SUV size, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe like a school bus size thing. I think they're way bigger than that. I don't know. They have flocks and stuff. Like they have animals with them. They have, you know, sustainable food and stuff like that. These things are huge, but they're also sealed tight, top and bottom. And in verse 19, <laughs> they follow the instructions. They built the boats. And then Jared goes, the brother of Jared, uh, goes with a couple of questions. And now behold, O Lord, in the name in them there is no light. Whither shall we steer? And also we shall perish, for in them we cannot breathe, save it is the air that which is in them. Therefore we shall perish. So he's like, okay, we built your boats the way you wanted us to build them, but here's the thing. It's really dark in there, and I think that we won't know where to go. We can't see where we're going. And two, there's no air in there, and I, I don't know what you want me to do about that. The best part about this whole part of the story is that he only gets one answer uh, in 20. And the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, Behold, thou shalt make a hole in the top and also in the bottom. And when thou shalt suffer for air, thou shalt unstop the hole and receive air. And if it be so that the water come in upon thee, behold, ye shall stop the hole, that ye may not perish in the flood. And so he's like, okay. And they go and do it. But he, he never even acknowledges the darkness issue. The Lord doesn't say, here's what to do for air. Here's what to do for darkness. And he doesn't even say, I'll tell you what to do for darkness later. He just says, here's what to do for air. So he goes and does it. 
Okay, we fixed it. And then in 22, he kind of comes back again like, okay, um, Lord, behold, I've, I've done as thou hast commanded me, and I've prepared the vessels for my people, but behold, there is no light in them. Behold, O Lord, wilt thou suffer that we should cross the great waters in darkness? And he's basically saying, like, I, I actually just kind of want to know, are we doing this in the dark? <laughs> like, you didn't give me an answer before, and you only told me about the air, which I took care of. But are, are we doing this in the dark? Just so I know. <laughs> and uh, then the Lord says in verse 23, what will ye that I should do that ye may have light in your vessels? For behold, ye cannot have windows. For they will be dashed in pieces. Neither shall you take fire with you, for you shall not go by the light of fire. For behold, you shall be as a whale in the midst of the sea, and the, and the mountain waves shall dash upon you. Nevertheless, I will bring upon you again out of the depths of the sea, for the winds have gone forth out of my mouth, and also the rains and the floods have I sent forth. The Lord comes back to him and says, what will you have me do? And I think that this is so important to this story. This is like, I feel like 90% of the answers to my prayers are like this. It's kind of like, what, what, what are your plans? What do you want me to do? I'm not going to spell everything out for you in minute detail of what you should do. You have a question? Okay, here's one answer, but I'm not going to give you the other one. I want you to come up with something first. I want you to do some work. I want you to think about this and then come back to me. And I, I think that's really awesome because it, it shows us that the Lord isn't just interested in us getting back to him. When you think about the plan of salvation and you think that this is a probationary state, this is part of the test, right? If he spelled everything out for us, if he made it that easy for us to know, oh, this is the next thing I need to do, and that's the next thing I need to do, and then it's nothing's left up to us. And there's no creativity. There's no experimenting. There's no opportunity for growth. It's just, oh, yeah, this is the next step. In this one, he illustrates that perfectly by saying, what, would you, what do you want me to do to make it so you can see? And keep in mind, you can't have windows and you can't have fire. Ready, go. And let's let's him be creative. I think it's interesting that um, in verse 24, well, in verse 23, when he says, hey, you, you're not going to have windows because they'll be dashed to pieces because this isn't going to be like your other trips. Yeah. Uh, you will be as a whale in the midst of the sea. For their mountain waves shall be dashed. It, it sounds like the previous many waters they crossed maybe weren't as large as this great water you're going to cross. Maybe they were big lakes were, or rivers or... Yeah. And then he says, for there shall be mountain waves that shall be dashed upon you. And then the tricky thing at the end where he says, and it's because of the winds that have gone forth out of my mouth and the rains and the floods that I sent forth. So the very thing I'm preparing you for... I'm the one causing these heavy winds and this rain. And, and and it's kind of interesting because, you know, I, if I were the brother of Jared, I may be tempted to say, why don't you make it not as windy and, <laughs> and then we can use our old design to get there, you know? And this is just a weird thought, okay? Because we know yeah. one of the theories of why Nephi, when they journeyed in the wilderness, that they didn't... It said they were commanded by the Lord not to have fire. And they ate their meat raw, and the Lord made it sweet unto them. Was that during that time you had uh, uh, Jerusalem being destroyed and raided and, and sieged and, and all, and they were, I don't know, I forget, the Babylonians, they were out and about. One of the theories, and this is all conjecture, you know, this is all opinion here or whatever, is that um, 
they wouldn't be spotted right. if they had fire to cook and, and they would leave traces or whatever. And my my here's my opinion. I, I wonder if what's protecting other nations getting to the promised land are these storms, these great winds that they're unable to sail and get over there. And he's going to show them how with his help they can get there. You know? yeah. You're going to have to, because it's almost like there's a lot of things that he is able to and willing to take out of their their a lot of trials he's willing to take away like the inability to communicate with each other uh the darkness you know in, in the location all these things but this he's kind of saying this storm is happening and you prepare and if you do what i tell you he says nevertheless you shall not take fire with you better but then he says uh i will bring you up out of the depths of the sea so even though oftentimes and, and, and something he's saying, he's also saying, and when you're in there and you need air and you unplug the hole and water comes in, I need you to panic. No, he's saying, plug it in, plug it up. I know when you need air, I'll bring you up and you'll be okay. Yeah. I don't know. It just takes a lot of trust. This takes a whole lot of trust to do all of this. And, and maybe that's why this relationship that the brother Jared has with the Lord is so important. You can tell though that this this is a very faithful group of people, because they're all there's no talk of murmuring, there's no talk of people saying like we're gonna do what now you know, yeah. what if we're gonna be under the water, why? Well, there's gonna be mountain waves that crash down upon us. Mountain waves? Oh, I'm not doing this. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Well, why it's, can't we it's just float funny on top? because, you know, as you mentioned that, I think right away of you have Laman and Lemuel who went from comfort and riches to now you got to let that go and go on a journey. And you have these people who are going from the Tower of Babel confusion, panic, and chaos to every step has been a substantial improvement <laughs> for them, you know? So they have, it might, I'm not saying it'd be easier for them, but, but from their perspective, it's like the Lord has never led us astray. Where with Lemon and Lemuel, maybe he took a different kind of faith to say, we're going to leave our comfort and I don't see any armies in the horizon coming to destroy Jerusalem and who can destroy this great city type of thing to. And so there's sometimes there's trials and the Lord asks us to do things. Some we can see the improvement right away and others, everything may be fine and there be maybe no reason to leave our comfort. Except we should be faithful to the Lord and then it be, and then it's proven to us how that was the right thing to do later, right. you know. So what does the brother of Jared do? Um, he's just been basically given a challenge by the Lord to go and find a way to have light inside. And I think uh, he probably took some time to think about this. There's eight vessels that he has to account for. He went forth on chapter 3, verse 1. He went forth unto the mount, which they called Mount Shelem, because of its exceeding height, and did molten out of a rock 16 small stones. And they were white and clear, even as transparent glass. And he did carry them in his hands upon the top of the mount and cried unto the Lord. Okay, so he wasn't completely clueless, first of all. He wasn't like, um, I don't know what to do. He actually had a, he came up with a plan. I'm going to go get these clear stones. I'm going to make these clear stones, um, almost like glass or whatever it was, because it had to melt. This it's is very, funny. very strange how it's he made funny this. how he specifically went for 
a certain kind of stone. And I wonder if he thought, well, we have lanterns. If I can get something that kind of looks like that, but it's concealed and hardy, maybe the Lord could put a fire inside of it, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it, uh, it'd be interesting to like have more, somebody <laughs> just like interview him. Like, what made you think of this, you know? And then in verse two, um, he goes to the Lord and says, O Lord, thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by the floods. Now behold, O Lord, and do not be angry with thy servant because of his weakness before thee. For we know that thou art holy and in the heaven, dwellest in the heavens, and that we are unworthy before thee, because of the fall and our, our natures have become evil continually. Nevertheless, O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment that we must call upon thee, that from thee we may receive according to our desires. Basically, two, three, and four, he's kind of like apologetically kind of being like, I know that this is going to sound a little bit crazy, and please don't be mad, and please don't think that I'm just weak and whatever. I'm, I'm trying my best here, you know. <laughs> and then in verse four, um, I know that thou hast all power and can do whatsoever thou wilt before, for the benefit of man. Therefore, touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger, and prepare them that they may shine forth in darkness that they shine forth unto us in the vessels which have, which we have prepared, that we may have light while we shall cross the sea. It's interesting because as I read this, and I hear how kind of apologetic he is, and I think it's because, you know, when you have a really good idea or something you think is a really good idea, and then you go and you take it to propose it to somebody that you respect a lot, and you're like, hey, I had this idea. What if we did this? And they're kind of like, uh what you know <laughs> and immediately you're like oh my gosh or while you start explaining your idea you're kind of like oh this is never mind this is silly this is never you know what i know <laughs> i know you can do anything you're the lord but this is going to sound kind of silly but he does it and the lord's like doesn't even flinch doesn't even question yeah. him like why do you think that would work tell me how long is that supposed to last you know he just doesn't can you imagine Maybe if they had a council, if he got the people together and, and everybody started throwing ideas, what should I take to the Lord, you know? <laughs> and then here's the only parameters we've been given. We can't use fire. And that's probably really smart because it would burn the oxygen in there. And your, and your first thing was oxygen. How do you keep oxygen in there? Right. <laughs> so that would negate your – and they may not know that, but the Lord does, you know? Right. And so he's saying you can't use fire. And then maybe they're asking themselves, what kind of, like, it'd be nice if we could carry it. It'd be nice if we could cover it when it's time to sleep. It'd be nice if we had several of them. It would be, you know, like, who knows? And then maybe their grand thing, and then it's up to him to go to the Lord. And he's kind of like, okay. And he's kind of saying, Lord, I know you're smarter than us. And I know <laughs> we're insignificant. And I know that, and I don't mean to offend you by asking this thing, you know. Yeah, but here's where we're at. Which also, and, uh, he just got three hours of a chastening by the Lord earlier, so he's probably a little concerned that I'm gonna go in there and be like, "Hey, can you touch these rocks?" And he's gonna say, "Uh, no. Can't you see that I'm a cloud? How am I supposed to touch those rocks?" You know? Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> can you see that I'm a cloud? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, up to that point, see, that's all he's seen, right? Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> but then in verse 6, it says, And it came to pass, when the brother of Jared had said these words, behold, the Lord stretched forth his hand and touched the stones one by one with his finger. And the veil was taken from off the eyes of the brother of Jared, and he saw the finger of the Lord, and it was the finger of a man. 
like unto flesh and blood. And the brother of Jared fell down before the Lord, for he was struck with fear. Keep in mind, like, this is the first time that it may never have even crossed his mind that the Lord is an actual being with a physical finger. Like he says, your finger, but the, there's all kinds of metaphors, stretch forth thy hand, you know, the right hand of God. And the, that terminology probably existed. But to actually see this finger come out of that cloud and touch those stones was like, what on earth is happening? And he's also probably, because he didn't say, yeah, I'll, I'll touch those stones. He just does it. I think it was startling for the brother of Jared to see this happen. Even though it's exactly what he requested, to see it happen was like, oh my gosh, this is real. And then the Lord asked him, arise, why hast thou fallen? And he said, I saw the finger of the Lord, and I feared lest it should smite me, for I knew not that the Lord had flesh and blood. And then the Lord teaches him. Because of thy faith thou hast seen, I shall take upon me flesh and blood, and never has, has man come before me with such exceeding faith as thou hast. For were it not so, ye could not have seen my finger. Sawest thou more than this? And he answered, Nay, Lord, show thyself unto me. And the Lord said unto him, he checks with him one more time, Believest thou the words which I shall speak? And he answered, Yes, Lord, yea, Lord. I know that thou speakest the truth, for thou art a God of truth, and canst not lie. And when he had said these words, behold, the Lord showed himself unto him, and he said, Because thou knowest these things, ye are redeemed from the fall. Therefore ye are brought back into my presence. Therefore I show myself unto you. And he teaches himself about how he will be the Savior. And he teaches the brother of Jared, you know, I, I haven't showed myself unto a, a man that I have created. And also there's never been anybody this faithful before who has just come and said, hey, here's my plan. Can you do this? I know you can do anything. Can you do this for me? I thought it was interesting in the manual. It kind of clarifies that a little bit. It says, uh, God had shown himself to other prophets before the brother of Jared. And I list a couple of examples. So why did the Lord say this to him? Never have I showed myself unto man. And then it uses something President Elder Holland has said, where he says um, he offers up this possible explanation. Christ was saying to the brother Jared, never have I showed myself unto man in this matter without my vol volition, driven solely by the faith of the beholder. Right. Meaning, never has, have I, have you seen me because you had such great faith and that in in the where in other times it may have not been in that way it was not yeah. by his volition which is interesting because i never ever considered that uh until here in the lesson where he pointed that out i think it's interesting in verse 9 or 19 it says and because of the knowledge of this man he could not be kept from beholding within the veil and he saw the finger of jesus which when he saw he fell with fear for he knew that it was the finger of the lord and he had faith no longer, for he knew, nothing doubting. Wherefore, having this perfect knowledge of God, he could not be kept from within the veil. Therefore, he saw Jesus, and he did minister unto him. And well, kind of, it goes back a little bit to your comment, can't you see I am the cloud? Yeah. This shows us that he's not, that we are created in his image. Exactly. You know? And the fact that the brother of Jared would ask him to do something that he maybe did not know that he could do. I mean, he says, I know that thou canst do anything, right? You have all power to do anything that you want to do. But at the same time, he's re it's really out-of-the-box thinking. Not only 
to take these stones to be touched by the Lord, but also assuming he can carry out that action that he's never seen him do anything like that before. When he's been guiding them through the wilderness, it was as a cloud. That's all he's known him as. And then he says, hey, I have these 16 stones, two for each barge. Can you touch them? He has such tremendous faith that he believes that literally anything can be done by the Lord. And I think that that's really why the Lord blesses him in that way of ministering to him and and showing himself, you know, this is who I am. This is who I will be for the world. And you are, don't you see that I'm, that you are created in, in my image? Like, that's a, a, a thing that I think we often take for granted because we know it. We've been taught it. We see pictures of, you know, depictions, paintings, whatever, of God and Jesus Christ. And we see them as people. But for a guy who's never seen that before, who doesn't even have the concept that this is a, a physical being, to, to have faith that strong and then to be able to witness that and learn that, it must have been like a, a really eye-opening experience in many, many ways for him to understand the bigger picture of this plan, you know? Someday I can be like my God. Like that, wow. Really cool. I thought it was interesting that uh, he's asked to write these things and to seal them up, you know, in verse 27. After he's seen, you know, all the inhabitants of the earth, verse 25 and it's kind of like and the lord does this with a lot of his prophets if not all of them once they once they reach a certain level he starts to share with them here's what's going to happen in the story in this in the earth and here's the portion that i assigned to you right how this is how the history of your people fit in the grand scheme of everything that's happening and I think that helps the prophets have that perspective. And I think similarly, we can maintain that kind of perspective, knowing as we as we piece together all the scriptures we currently have to be able to see that we are in the last dispensation, that we are in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and that we are in the whole timeline. We're almost towards the end, waiting and preparing for the second coming, where you'll have the Lamanites and Nephites that later on read some of these writings, but they're preparing for the Lord's first coming to them. And in chapter four, it kind of says in verse three, it says, and now after that they have, in verse two and three, it says, and after Christ truly had showed himself unto this people, he commanded that they should be made manifest. Meaning King Mosiah kept all these things and he kept these records that they found from the people of Limhi that ended up being the book of Ether that in addition has this huge sealed portion that the brother Jared wrote about everything that's ever going to happen, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they kept this until Christ came. And then they said, and after that, that they of all dwindled and believe, and save none save it be the Lamanites. And they have rejected the gospel of Christ. Therefore, I am commanded that I should hide them up in the earth. Behold, I have written all these plates and the, the very things which the brother Jared saw. And there never were greater things made manifest than the, those which were manifest unto the brother of Jared. Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to write them, and I have written them. And he commanded me that I should seal them up, and he also hath commanded that I should seal up the interpretation thereof. Where, wherefore I have sealed up the interpreters according to the commandments of the Lord. For the Lord said unto me, They shall go forth unto the Gentiles unto the day that they shall repent of their iniquities and become clean before the Lord. So there's kind of two things that Mor Moroni is talking here about. about. Here. He's talking about 
sealing up the record, the whole Book of Mormon, and also sealing up the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, and that these now are for a future day, which is our day. Like back in verse, in chapter 3, the Lord gives them two stones that will be used to interpret because it will be written in a language that they cannot read. And that's what the interpreters are that he's talking about in chapter 4, verse 5, the, the Urim and Thummim, these two stones that Moroni used to interpret the book of Ether and to read it and to understand the story of the brother of Jared, and that he then included in the Hill Cumorah and that Joseph Smith eventually unburied and also used to interpret the entire Book of Mormon. And so it's, it's clear that the Lord wanted to not only give the means by which to do that work, but also make sure that it was done in the right way. I think it's interesting, a few, few chapters ago, where Mormon was talking about he's, he's burying these records and they will come in a day and there were a lot of those phrases. It will come in a day when people will think miracles will be done. And, and now Moroni, his son, in verse 7, he kind of says something similar. Um, in verse 6, he's saying, you know, come forth to the Gentiles. And then in verse 7, he says, and in that day, they shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did, that they may become sanctified in me. Then will I manifest myself and manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw. Even the unfolding unto them all my revelations, saith Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of the heavens and of the earth, and all things that in them are. And in verse 8, And he that will contend against the word of the Lord, let him be accursed. And he that shall deny these things, let him be accursed. For unto them I will show no greater things, saith Jesus Christ, for I am he who speaketh. And, and it's kind of like, a really neat promise because he's saying you know these things will come forth and if we repent and if we turn to the Lord he will eventually unfold all his revelations to us there will be no more sealed mysteries things like that but like he says in verse 8 there will be those that will contend against this the gospel builds line upon line and I think of it as in math you know you begin learning additions subtractions multiplications division fractions Algebra and geometry, you know, you, you, you begin, but you can't be expected to know how to calculate the surface area of a globe if you never did your, your addition homework, you know, if you, if you, you know, and so it built upon itself. And some of the great answers in, in, in kind of paradoxes of our life are these mysteries like, hey, why are we here? Why did this happen? Where are we going after we die? Where's the spirit? Are we alone in the universe? Blah, blah, blah. All these things. And it's like, and the Lord's like, I have an answer. He knows all these things. But first, are you willing to have faith? Are you willing to be baptized? Are you willing to take upon you my name? Are you willing to mourn with those that mourn? Are you willing to take on payments and minister unto others and fulfill your, your priesthood duties and your church callings and be faithful and, you know, and as you do those things, then, hey, now I'm going to give you the answer, and now it's going to make sense. Well, and then you see in, in verse 13, Come unto me, O ye Gentiles, and I will show unto you the greater things, the knowledge which is hid up because of unbelief. 14. Come unto me, O ye house of Israel, that it shall be made manifest unto you how great things the Lord hath laid up for you from the foundation of the world, and it hath not come unto you because of unbelief. And then 15. Behold, when ye shall 
hell of unbelief which doth cause you to remain in your awful state of wickedness, in hardness of heart, and blindness of mind, then shall the great and marvelous things which have been hid up from the foundation of the world from you, yea, when ye shall call upon the Father in my name, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then shall ye know that the Father hath remembered the covenant which he had made unto your fathers, O house of Israel. And then shall my revelations which I have caused to be written by my servant John be unfolded into the eyes of all the people. Remember when ye, when ye see these things, ye shall know that the time is at hand, and that they shall be made manifest in every deed. I think what you're seeing here is Moroni saying, listen up to all of this. Listen to the, the things that are in this book, the principles of the gospel that are here, and be faithful, and be baptized, and follow the commandments, and repent, and, you know, when you start to uh, have belief, you won't have a hard heart, you won't have a blind mind, you won't be in an awful state of wickedness that prevents you from understanding the gospel. And he's not promising, you know, you're going to, if you're good enough, I'll give you another book. What he's saying is, if you're good enough, you'll understand what you're taught. You'll understand, you'll understand what you read. You know, if you're in tune with the Spirit and you're really trying your best, not if you're perfect, but if you're trying your best, if the intent to follow the Savior is there, and you read this with that pure heart and contrite spirit, you will receive greater knowledge, greater information. And that's available to everyone, everyone. That's not an exclusive club. You know, it's not like there's a paywall that at a certain point you have to put in more credits to get more knowledge. This is available to everyone. It's dependent on our willingness to follow the commandments and our willingness to be humble. Look at the brother of Jared. Look at how much he was able to learn more than any other person. And it's just because he was humble and faithful. He went in without any pretense. He went in to just honestly learn from the Lord and, and get guidance from him. And he was able to learn everything there was. He was able to see the Lord himself. I like how <clears throat> Moroni is not the only one. We've had many. We've had, I think, all of them so far. Most all the prophets say, at some point, you're going to have to make a choice. Do you really want to know if this is true? Yeah. And be careful that you don't judge this not to be true because it doesn't fit into your worldview because you'll become under condemnation. And then he kind of ends with uh, kind of mentioning how there will be three that will be allowed to view these plates that they may bear witness themselves, you know, by the power of God. And I think that's fascinating because then it is Moroni himself who comes to the prophet Joseph. And as Joseph's myth is translated in this section, he's then, it's what leads him to go ask and say, okay, can we have three, like it mentions here, that can view the plates? Because until this point, the prophet Joseph Smith has kind of kept them for himself. You know, he's let people see them covered and, and, and things like that. And, you know, and... Yeah, but it's it's also the fact that he that they were able to have three witnesses to them was also, um, it wasn't just, hey, this says we get to see it. Who can I show it to? You know, it was like, there's a purpose behind this because of verse four in chapter five. In the mouth of, the, of three witnesses shall these things be established and the testimony of three and this work in the which shall be shown forth the power of God and also his word and of, of which 
the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost bear record, and all this shall stand as a testimony against the world on the last day. It was to strengthen the testimony of the Book of Mormon. It was to strengthen the testimony of the work that was being executed at the time, the translation, the restoration of the church. It wasn't just like, hey, so who's the lucky people who won the raffle who get to see the, the gold plates? It was, why? Why? Because these people will testify to the world that this is true and that this is happening. And we, we mentioned it back in Ether, and he brought it up again, and the Lord said, yep, these are the people who are going to be the witnesses. These are the people who will testify of it. We have um, the three witnesses, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. And you can go in the beginning of the book and read their testimony. And then later we have eight witnesses. Yeah. And I find it interesting, this phrase in the testimony, this is, we bear record that the words, with words of soberness, that the said Smith has shown us, for we have seen and hefted, and know a surety that the said Smith has got the plates of which he has spoken. I thought that was interesting because they need not only see, but they hefted. Yeah. You know, they felt, uh, which is pretty cool. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.